everyone. I'm Carrie Brown, Director of the Vermont Commission on Women, and I'm very pleased that you're joining us to talk about Latina Women's Equal Pay Day. So every year, the Vermont Commission on Women observes Equal Pay Day, which is a symbolic day that represents how far into one year women have to work to catch up with the money that men made from the year before. And it usually falls around the end of April, the beginning of March. And, and that's calculated by looking at all of the money that women earned in, that, in the previous year and all of the money that men earned in the previous year and seeing what the relationship is between them. And in this past year, women made about 84% nationwide and in Vermont as well of the money that men made. But that only tells a part of the story. When you look a little bit more closely, you start seeing big differences between different groups of women within that overall number. And so we are taking a closer look at the different equal pay days that fall throughout the year. And we're doing that through this series of conversations with women who can speak about different women's experiences. So today we have a wonderful conversation about Latina Women's Equal Pay Day. This day, this symbolic day, falls on April, uh, excuse me, October 21st in 2021. And this means that in order to make as much money as white non-Latino men made in 2020, Latina women have to work all the way until October 21st. Nationally, Latinas make 57% of the money that white men made in 2020. And so we're here today with a panel of members of our community in, here in Vermont, led by Lisa Senegal, who is one of our three co-chairs of the Vermont Commission on Women. And they will share some of their experiences and their perspectives and uh, have a, what I know is gonna be a really fascinating conversation. So Lisa, I will turn it over to you to let you introduce our guests and thank you very much. Thank you very much, Carrie, and thank you um, all three of you for joining us today. I want to go ahead and get right to um, introductions. Uh, first, Maria Marita Canedo uh, is the program co coordinator for migrant justice, originally from La Pez, Bolivia, and she moved to the U.S. in 2005 and has lived in Vermont since 2010. Our second guest today is Amanda Garces. Director of Policy, Education and Outreach for the Vermont Human Rights Commission. She's also a member of the Education Justice Coalition of Vermont and comes to Vermont via New Jersey, LA and Arizona where she worked in organizing around migrant rights, border issues and against the proliferation of private prisons. Amanda immigrated from Colombia at age 16. And Drea Tremos, is a transplant from Charleston, South Carolina. She began her career in the healing arts 10 years ago when she became a Reiki practitioner. She graduated from Body Soul Massage School in St. Albans and founded Soul Vibration Massage and Wellness. Welcome to all three of you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you so much. Really wonderful to have all three of you here today. Um, so Carrie started us off with a, a really staggering statistic that I know all three of you are very familiar with, or two of them, that Equal Pay Day 
for Latina women is on October 21st, so almost 11 months into uh, the year. And 57% of uh, the wages earned by uh, non-Latino men um, is what Latina women uh, end up earning annually, uh, which is uh, just a devastating number. So if each of you could talk uh, a little bit about um, what uh, in actual experience you see those statistics meaning for Latina women. And Drea, since you are, you are on the screen, <laughs> I will go ahead and ask you to start, please. Okay, so um, I'm Cuban-American. I was raised by Cuban grandparents who came over in the 50s. And um, I grew up with a background that was very um, uh, upper middle class, I would say. My family were doctors and attorneys and um, that sort of thing. And I didn't quite take that path. I decided that I wanted to be a farm worker. I was a farm worker for a number of years. I was an illegal immigrant. I farmed in, uh, illegally in other countries. And um, I experienced firsthand what it meant to be an immigrant and a farm worker and what that really looked like. Um, I eventually came back to the US and I decided I loved farming. I continued farming for a number of years. And I ended up landing a job with uh, at a farm in Jericho that was incredibly, uh, it was an incredible experience because we were paid fair wages. And I was there with um, all sorts of different people, uh, a lot of Guatemalans, people from all over the country, a lot of Vermonters, but it was a very different experience from my, my previous farming experience. But farming still didn't didn't pay bills. So I decided to become a business owner. And I had done Reiki for many years. And I thought, oh, I love massage. I love helping people. I love caregiving. And um, prior to my farming life, I had been, I was a preschool teacher. And I taught Spanish and other farming, actually, like gardening. But I wanted to help other Latino women as well be able to step out of this wage gap and I've discovered a profession where women do much better than men. I tend to make money faster than my male counterparts. They have to work a lot longer and a lot harder to get where I've been able to get to in four years with less effort. So it's been a very fascinating um, to be on both sides of that coin. And um, my goal now really with my business is to grow it so that I can hire Latinas, hire more women, um, and help them to get better training, especially if they want to be in the um, healing arts um, in whatever way that looks like for them. So. Thank you. That, that is fascinating to be on both sides of that and, and to find a, a path to a career where you are not only earning uh, fair wages, but you you have an advantage over men, which not many women have the ability to say. Um, Amanda, can you talk to us about um, how you see this uh, tremendous wage gap uh, impacting women in Vermont, Latina women in Vermont? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I want to share kind of my uh, the history of my family coming into the U.S. and um, I just came to Vermont uh, in 2017. 
Um, and but my mom, you know, came here. I came when I was sixteen, and she's been. She was a, a she take take care of older people her life while she was here. So she used to work seven days a week, twenty four hours a day for over seven years straight. Uh, whenever she needed to take a day off, uh, she needed to find somebody that she needed to pay out of her pocket um, so that she could take a day off or go to the doctor's appointment. She never really had vacation. So when I moved, when she finally brought me um, after eight years that she had been here, that, that was kind of like what I was reflecting on, uh, thinking on, on Latina Equal Pay is just how much uh, the exploitive system of people like my mom. My mom is now 83, you know, she, um, her social security, it's not that much, but so I think a lot of the work that I was doing in, in uh, Los Angeles, uh, working with domestic workers and day laborers, and just how much more work do we have to do? So when I, when I look at these statistics, we see that Latinas make just 57 cents on average to every, for every dollar that of the white male counterparts. And there's some other statistics that says that it's gonna take us 200 years for us to equalize that pay. And, and so in Vermont, I think we need to do more. I think that we are, Marita will talk a little bit about what is happening with our uh, migrant farm workers um, and the woman who she works with. But there's a, an influx. We have, there, there's a lot of domestic works that are coming in that are Latinas. Um, in, in Montpelier, I was thinking that the rate in some of these uh, is $35 an hour, which is the informal rate for cleaning. However, that is independent contractors. So if people get sick, if, if they have children to take care of, daycare, all of that, it's like a package that it's unseen. So for, um, I can only imagine how, how much more we have to do in this state. We have to think about not only the wages, but how we're taking care of in terms of vacation, sick time, and all of the things that we need. So we need to do more. So it hasn't changed. I think for Vermont, we also, we really need to take a look into our domestic work and thinking about how we're gonna move this conversation forward. Thank you very much. Um, and Marita, uh, Amanda just mentioned that you would talk with us more about um, migrant workers mm -hmm. experience. Can you, um, Give us a sense of what this wage disparity means in the, the especially the migrant farming community. Yeah, no, thank you for the space. You know, I just want to share a little bit about also my story, you know, coming as an immigrant, we have to understand that when we use the word Latina, it's just a, a terminology that was invented here for to put all the people that are Spanish speakers into one label and not acknowledging that we have different cultures, different everything. And most of us that are immigrants, you know, as my own experience, I came here uh, with a visa that didn't allow me to work or to study, just to be here. And it was really uh, difficult for me having two kids at the moment and my partner, I couldn't even um, put in their taxes that he was a head of household and had dependents because of how the immigration system works. So starting from there, uh, giving more um, opportunities to men and not to women, um, just having us as uh, housewives or uh, caregivers without any acknowledgement. When I moved to Vermont and I started learning about the farm worker community, 
um, this was in 2010, uh, migrant justice was just starting. And most of the workers, immigrant workers in the dairy industry were young men. So the average women uh, were 6%, five to 6%. And they weren't working at the farms because they didn't get the opportunity to work. Like farmers will see them as a distraction or a complication for getting housing because they might need more privacy. And also as weak because they couldn't like do the same work that men were doing at the farms. They couldn't be farm workers. So the few women that were here were either uh, with their partners or brothers as people preparing food at the home or cleaning the house, but more isolated, way more isolated that already the, the immigrants that were, you know, men immigrants that were working that were able to do more things, at least to go out of the house to work while, while women were staying there. So just seeing that the opportunities for women in farms are still not the best. We see an improvement with the years and we see that because of the organizing and because the benefits and the things that we have, we've been achieving as a community, more women are coming into the state uh, to work in farms. Uh, more farms are accepting women, realizing that they can do the work and uh, they also sometimes actually more organized and, and less distracted. Um, but, you know, without protections of sexual harassment or education around that, or even talking about that, uh, it's some work that we as Vagan Justice has taken our own, starting talking to our members, to leaders, because we don't want anyone to be talking about human rights and at home being abusive. Um, so it's something that we're really taking to our heart to talk about this and talking about equal payment, we still see that uh, women are not paid the same. And it takes a lot of time for women to first understand we have rights, we can ask for things, um, and then be able to have a voice where not only they, they have to fight with their bosses and employers about this, but also with the culture itself that brings women as um, not worth it to receive the same amount of money, even though besides doing the work at the farm, you have to do the work at home and take care of the kids. So it's really important to, to understand that there is a lot to do, as Amanda said, uh, a lot of education that's needed around, a lot of systems that we need to create because as women are coming also uh, from this migrant community, if they don't find jobs in farms, it's possible that they are gonna be cleaning houses or working in hotels. And we see that disparity of opportunities and equal payment. Yeah, I, you mentioned a couple of things in there that, that are so important. First, that, that term Latina is that catch-all that, um, white Americans created um, to be able to lump um, all people of so many different cultures uh, together. And so the, the number that we have in Vermont, our, our tiny uh, minority community becomes smaller when you then separate it down into um, Black Vermonters and Latina Vermonters and um, Asian American Vermonters. But then further within your community, there are all those differences. So how do you see those culturally playing out 
um, because there are those differences. And then if you can talk, um, you can each talk a little bit about, because you've, you've each had experience with this issue, there's obviously a difference between um, being undocumented and being able to fight for your rights and being uh, a citizen and or documented and and being able to fight for your rights. So how how much more difficult is that uh, within your community, uh, both the protections that laws offer and the ability to go out and advocate for your community? Sure, that's a great question. Well, first, I think we all should be fighting for our rights, either documented or undocumented. And one thing that makes it's a big challenge is that when people come to this country, don't know, even if you have some kind of immigration status, you don't know your rights. There is no one education about like, you are able to do this or not to do that. It's more about you're here, be thankful. And I think it's really important that we as organization, you know, with the field organizers, we go to farms, we talk to women, we created a women's group, even in our, um, in our structure as migrant justice, we had to change many things for having everybody like earning the same. So not taking into account if you have been with the organization more years or you have more experience on this, like anybody that's gonna work here is gonna make the same amount because we acknowledge the importance of every work that needs to be done to educate our communities. Now, fighting for your rights, being undocumented, it's like breaking the fear breaking the fear of being exposed and targeted. And we know by our own experience that our members and leaders have been surveillance, have been targeted and arrested for fighting for the rights. And we had to sue the uh, you know, Department of Homeland Security, ICE, even the DMV that was sharing information with ICE. Um, and that's, you know, like settled a precedent uh, for around the country that people that are advocating for their rights shouldn't be persecuted. However, it's not a certainty. And actually after that, that lawsuit, one thing that we have seen is that people are more proud to be wearing migrant justice hoodies or having their stickers on their cars because they feel like, oh, they are not gonna mess up with us. You know, they know that, that at least we have this education. So yeah, it's a challenge, but also it's getting together like, documented and undocumented people together to understand that we have the same interests to, to change this, this system, to make and you know, build and create things that are gonna be really uh, bringing equity. Yeah, can I just add that there is, um, I think, you know, not only their rights, but there is, uh, we always said, you know, even if you're undocumented, you have rights. And um, that is like the, the work that we have to do. The National Domestic Worker Alliance is an amazing organization that has been working with domestic workers for a long time. And they um, have done a lot of bills, of the Bill of Rights for Domestic Workers and trying to get their rights. And that's what they do, kind of empowerment and work. And I wish they come here to Vermont um, to do some of the some of that work here, but you know their bill. They have the National Domestic Worker Bill of Rights, which includes workplace overtime pay, paid sick time, workplace harassment and discrimination, which Vermont you know has a really good law around that. But 
it kind of puts it all together and, and they do emphasize whether you're documented or not that, you know, these rights are there. And I think that is what we have seen is uh, organizations like Migrant Justice, like uh, National Democratic Worker Alliance is what we need to push um, workers, I, I think, to, to make this, this equal pay at one point uh, the, the fair thing. And so like thinking about the Latina, Latinas in Vermont, Latinas in this country is that we, we can't be, we have African Latinas uh, that also have their own set of discrimination things that happen. We have our LGBTQA plus Latinas, we have Latinas with disabilities, all that, you know, have very different relationships with equal pay, access, transportation, all of the things. So when we think of Latina equal pay, we need to think about all the barriers that we need to break so that we can get there, not in 200 years, but now. Right. Uh, thank you, Drea. Um, kind of building on that, you you had personal experience um, both with being undocumented and now in your work. What do you feel personally the difference of your access and and how you're able to use your voice um, has changed? Well, I definitely have a different foundation that I've been built upon because I am a second generation. My grandparents are from Cuba. They, ra they helped raise me. I was with them a lot, but there's certain, there's not the fear that I had when I lived abroad and was undocumented. There's always that underlying fear of, can I go to the doctor? Will they turn me in? Will I be able to go see whoever across the border? And there were definitely times that I was very afraid and, um, but I think that there's, I'm just, I'm, I'm having a hard time articulating. I think I'm just soaking in all the things that um, everyone said. And, but I think one of the things that really resonated so far for me is also the, the isolation part of being undocumented um, and just having that experience of being without community and because whether I think you're Cuban or Guatemalan or um, Mexican, it's, we have strong community. We often lean on multi-generation upbringings. We have more than just our parents and our households. You know, we have this, this support system and I don't, the American lifestyle, the American way, the white American way of being in the world is not set up that way. It is set up nuclearly and I've never much related to it personally, <laughs> but um, it's, it's a lot different because if you're a migrant to this country, you've lost a lot of your community and you either have to find it and build it or you're maybe entering a community that doesn't understand you, isn't really like, because Latina is such a big, just a, a lump group, that, that culture may not be as in jive with their culture. It's very complicated. So um, I just, I want to be a part of the solution towards helping Latina women move towards that equal pay much sooner as well. It's 200 years is not going to cut it. 
that's not that's not a reasonable number. So no, it's an incredibly unreasonable number. It's already unreasonable that that we don't have pay equity now. It is. And, and so 10 years from now is too long for pay equity to, to get here. Yes. Uh, and which kind of um, moves me into my next question. I can't remember if it was Marita or Amanda who mentioned, um, I think Amanda, it was you talking about your grandmother and social security and how uh, we have a tendency to think about uh, pay equity being important for current day living, that we have our bills each month that we need to be able to pay. But there is a long-term effect of earning 57% um, of what you should. So can you talk to us a little bit about the, the cumulative nature of what we end up seeing at the end of these, you know, 24 seven uh, work that so many women do? Yeah, so it was my mom who, um, who now makes very little at 83 <laughs> through her social security. Um, because, you know, one of the reasons why she kept, she was undocumented for a, for a long time, even though they do, many do pay into taxes, because that is the reality. They are getting paid checks, that money goes into a pot that is not their pot, uh, especially if they're undocumented. So that money is there sitting in another fund uh, that will never get to them until they become documented. Once people are documented, then they, you know, get to see that later. But again, because we're not, not only are we not getting the right wage, but there were uh, domestic workers are underpaid. Uh, so low wage workers in general doesn't have the domestic work, people that work in hotels or uh, janitors. I was a janitor when I first came to the US, I was making 5.15 an hour, right? Uh, uh, so I think there there is this conversation around the whole package of immigration and how that relates to the low wage work, you know, Latinas in the in the country itself. So it's like how to and the implications for when they're older. So my mom's lucky that she has six kids that she was able to bring to the US. So there's six of us here all over the country that can support her. Um, in many other ways, but you know, still she doesn't have a lot that in comparison to other, you know, older women who are from here. So I think that's really important to just think about the immigration and the complexity around what happens when undo undocumented workers give their life to taking care of the elderly in this country. Um, but then when they become elders, they don't have the same support systems because of the inequality that we have, so. Um, Marita, that kind of uh, brings me to another question that I wanted to be able to ask. The, um, we, we talk a lot about, and obviously we're talking about equal pay today, but I wanna make sure that we highlight the contributions that the Latina and Latino community make to Vermont and to the United States, because we really, we don't function without uh, an immigrant community. And uh, we, we get so much uh, that otherwise um, the work would not be done uh, by someone else. I, I, my family uh, comes from a dairy uh, family, uh, my dad, mm -hmm. and um, that work is primarily done 
now by uh, immigrants to Vermont. So can you talk to us about overall what the economic uh, implications are of not having the migrant community and what it what the contributions of the Latinas uh, living in Vermont is? Sure, and just adding a little bit about what Amanda was saying, uh, we need to see as the equal payment, just maybe as a baseline. You know, money is not going to solve everything. That's something that, okay, people can feel financially secure, then they can do more other things and they, you know, can have a quality of life. So I think that's really important. And, it, you know, the migrant community here in Vermont is sustaining the dairy industry. And if we make more research and understanding about the other agricultural work, you know, who is uh, picking uh, the apples, he, who is like uh, bringing the maple and all the things that we are very proud from Vermont is, is yeah, it's sustained by migrant workers. So I think one of the biggest thing I see on the women, the migrant women here in Derry and in general is the strength. Because we know the, the path that they had to go through to end up in Vermont. Um, as I say, there is a huge immigration problem with the borders, with the criminalization of immigrants and all the militarization of borders. And these women have to be exposed to many, many abuses while they are crossing the border. And we know by statistics that many of them don't make it. So I think when they are here and they feel empowered to raise their voice and and start talking about these things, uh, we learn about their stories and they are so strong. It's impressive, it's amazing the things that they had to go through, sometimes leaving kids behind. And, and we see that kind of separation of families. And at the same time, they are working 12, 15 hours every day because we know the farming, it's a work that's very heavy and they are doing that. They are cooking and attending the house. And if there are other kids, also that too. Uh, they learn the language because who's going to help the kids in the school? You know, kids go to school. And, and that's something that we're looking into the future that more women come in and more families establishing here. Um, in four or five years, we're going to have like a lot of immigrant community in the schools. And we need to create that support for the families, you know, with access to language and everything. I'm also part of the Education Justice Coalition with Amanda. And we, we talk about these things, you know, like the equity in everything, not only the payment. But I think not only acknowledging that they are workers that haven't stopped during the pandemic, that they don't have the protections as other workers, um, also seeing them as people that are seeking for solutions. They are not only being there as the victims of immigration or racism. They are big, they're really thinking and analyzing how we can bring collective solutions. And I'm really, you know, like it's for me uh, an honor to be part of migrant justice and have this connection with the women there because I see um, how this, you know, thinking through many, many ways. Um, creating programs as Milk with Dignity or creating systems where there is this connection, uh, these women's group that support each other because one is suffering from depression and they decide like, we're gonna get together and once a week. So then you have something to look ahead uh, every week and things like that. So I think there is a lot to learn from these women and we have to first acknowledge that 
yeah, they are here and they are really strong. I'm so glad that you mentioned um, the pandemic and the amount of, of um, the professional carers who are Latina. Um, and Drea, you really, you fall into the category of people who, who help care for us and care for our health. Can you talk about um, what that experience is like and, and uh, what you know about the greater uh, Latina community and how uh, the pandemic might have exacerbated things that were already so hard um, that, that all of the state is dependent, that work we're dependent on having Latinas do? Yeah, so I think one of the things that I've noticed the most is that um, mental health has really taken a hit during the pandemic. Um, less in-person contact has been really detrimental from young kids to our elderly, to our elders. And I used to work more with people who had sports injuries and things like that. But what I've noticed since the pandemic is that people are very lonely. And um, I work a lot with just talking with people, just letting them speak on the table, which really when, when we do massage, it's often a very quiet profession. Uh, we don't I don't tend to talk very much, but since everything happened in 2020, it's it's like everybody just comes in spilling and needing that 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 time. And I I was the only person somebody saw for a year. They didn't see anyone. And that was else. enough for you to be taking on. It was quite an intense experience, um, I have to say, and. I recently hired uh, a Latina woman to work with me and um, she and I just, I think we both felt that, that this experience, especially because we, we understand the importance of community. We understand like it's part of the fabric of our cultures and she's from Central America originally. Um, but it's still those, we have that similar ability to sort of build community around us. And I don't, I moved away from where I was rooted in the South with my family um, because I couldn't find good work there. I didn't feel that it was somewhere that I could expand. And in Vermont, there's been a lot more opportunities than I would have had down there. Um, but it, it's come with a cost. It's come with a mental cost. And I think there's a lot of Latinas across the country that are having to make those kinds of sacrifices in order to feed their children or um, the stories that like Marita was talking about with women coming across the border. My sister-in-law did that. She's from Central America and her story is harrowing. And she's just such a strong individual. This Latinas just you build from these experience a stronger sense of self, I think, and a stronger sense of going after what you want because it's not an easy path at all. And um, I can only imagine, I don't get to be around as many Latina people here or Latino people or Hispanic, whatever, 
you just there's just not as many <laughs> that's right. something that's about living the south the diversity of the culture um but yeah i think in terms of health and wellness it's been quite eye-opening to see how people have responded to that kind of like isolation and that how important touch is like in Caucasian culture, European sort of culture, I don't see as much touching and, and holding and kissing. It's like, if I don't kiss my family, and if I, when I see them, they think I'm mad at them. Like, no, I just didn't. So. I've just been in Vermont for too long. <laughs> but yeah, it's interesting that people I think who don't come from that kind of culture are really just realizing how important touch is and how vital it is to their actual physical health as well as their mental health because the mind-body connection, it's right. real. There's no getting away from it. So. Absolutely. I, I, think, I think many more of us have come to feel that acutely uh, in the past year and a half. Um, I've so enjoyed this conversation. I want to make sure I go around and make and give each of you an opportunity to um, share anything that you want to make sure people understand when, when they're thinking about uh, equity for the Latina community and for women. Um, I will start with you, Amanda. Yeah, I mean, I think I would, I would say that we're just everywhere, right? Like that, um, even in Vermont, when people say, well, there's not that many Latinas, there's actually a lot of us here. Um, you know, I remember the first, the first month in Vermont, I was like looking for my crew and I did. We had a party with over 60 Latinos. Montpelier alone has representation of, of over 10 Latin American countries. So there's a lot of us here and doing all kinds of work. 2.2 million Hispanic healthcare workers nationwide. I think that's really important to say that during this pandemic, you know, we are in the healthcare industry. We are the healthcare aid workers. We are the domestic workers. We are the childcare providers. We are, you know, cooking. We are working in your restaurants, fast girls. We're working the farms. And I think that we have to start thinking about how do we move these conversations around equal pay, not just from the top executives, but like from the bottom up, because that's who builds our economy. That's who's helping us grow. And so I think um, I think of my family, uh, every time like I have this conversation, I think of my family and how like what we are, what we have done here, but also can't forget where I, we, we come from. Um, you know, and, and what we do, you know, my mom is, uh, is here visiting, so she's really present in my heart right now, because she's been with me for a few weeks now, and just, I hear her stories, and their stories from 30 years ago are the stories that I hear from my friends now, so I think, like, we just, I just want to keep that in our hearts, and when we do have these conversations, it's about people, not about numbers. I'm so glad that you said that. We have a tendency in Vermont to talk about, well, we're 98 point something uh, white, and this is such a small percentage, but the small percentage is a lot of people. And we need to make sure, as you were just saying, we are thinking about the people, and people aren't just groups inside percentages to be dismissed. These are Vermonters living among us who deserve 
the, the same rights and opportunities and treatment and protections um, that everyone else does, uh, whether it's a small community or a large community. Um, uh, Marita. Sure, and adding to that, you know, the many that are not counting those statistics as well as a lot of the undocumented population. We always say we are around a thousand workers uh, sustaining the dairy industry, that 80, 90% of the workers in dairy are immigrants in Vermont. And yeah, let's not keep on numbers, but really thank you, Amanda, for bringing that of like, we're people and we are here. Um, I think, you know, there are so many things that can happen to connect to us and we should be connected. I was gonna say to make this accessible to our communities, having this recording, translated with subtitles in Spanish for our community. So they can also hear about what we're talking about. They can hear that, uh, you know, we care, not because I'm an organizer with Megan Justice, but because you all are talking with us. So I think that's really important language accessibility, acknowledging how many we are. And um, there are many things that are happening here in Vermont, you know, like women that are getting together, having their own food co-op, that they build on their own in Addison County. They have events. Uh, it's really amazing to support them and everywhere. And also, yeah, keep understanding that Latina is just a word for many, many different cultures. We have, as Amanda said, we have Black Latinx, we have Asian Latinx, we have Indigenous Latinx, we have White Latinx, and just understanding also the different dynamics of power as well. So I just want to thank you and thank everybody and, and uh, encourage to have this translated, well, having subtitles so we can share it with our community it will be amazing. Thank you for thank you for raising that. That's really important. And Drea, do you have parting words for us? Yeah, I just want to say I'm very, very grateful to have been part of this discussion. I want to say thank you to everyone. It makes me feel a little less hopeless. I think, to know that there is more going on in Vermont than even I knew about. And I'm excited because I'm like, oh, wow, all these things happening. I want to get more involved. So um, yeah, just thank you all so much. Thank you for the work you're doing. Oh, and, and thank all of you. Thank you so much on behalf of uh, the Vermont Commission on Women. Thank you for um, taking time to talk with us today, for sharing stories. Um, and for sharing uh, the work that you're doing with us and, and for doing that work. It is so important. Um, and we really appreciate you being here in your time. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you.